a bull keys, tackle box in my hand Gonna cast a few lines with my toes in the sand Pulling in a big catch makes me feel like a man But the wife, she just don't understand I love walleye, perch, trout, and bass And if you don't like fishing, you can kiss my four-stroke right in the back Cause the fishes all tremble at the thought of me When I'm fishing for Bunyan Country Countdown is on for the opener. It's coming up Saturday. We continue to take a close look at some of the best walleye waters in Paul Bunyan country. Today, we put the spotlight on Red Lake. And of course, it's Monday, so Dr. Andrew Hafes will be here to answer another tough question as we ask the aquatic biologist. It's all coming up on Fish in Paul Bunyan country. Welcome back to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. We are getting close to the opener, less than a week to go. We keep putting the spotlight on the big walleye lakes, and today it is definitely one of the biggest, and that is Red Lake. Tony Kennedy is the large lake specialist out of the Bemidji Area Fisheries Office, and he joins us to share all things Red Lake. Tony, thanks for checking in today. Yeah, thanks, Kev. I think the first thing we got to do with Red Lake is make sure people know what the limit is this year, because that is one of those lakes where it slides from year to year. Some years it's three, some years it's four, and I think... I think we're on a three this time, right? Yeah, that's right. It's a continuation of the three fish bag limit we had last winter. Uh, will also be in place for this coming summer. So what is it exactly? So it's a three fish bag limit with not more than one fish over 17 inches. Okay, three fish total, one over 17. Um, we had gone several years with four, and now we're back to three uh, the last couple. What's going on with that? Yeah, well, there is some some speculation that we're over harvesting red lake and that, that's definitely not the case um when we had got when we've been at four there for quite a while um we've been in the, what we call our surplus spawning stock condition um since the fishery reopened actually um and so we had more mature females out there than we needed and so we were more aggressive in removing those fish we actually were successful in getting that spawning stock biomass into what we call our optimal range um, and that produced a couple of good year classes for us that are um, just about ready to come into the fishery now. But we've seen on red that sort of a medium amount of spawning stock is what gives us our best recruitment uh, for that next generation. And so we'd been at surplus for so long, you know, and at, at a four, we pulled, when we got to optimal, we had to pull back to three. And we've also seen trends of increasing fishing pressure. Um, so the pie is getting split in a few more pieces. Um, and we're, we're right now, we're right on the edge of optimal and surplus. I expect very soon we'll bump back up into that surplus. And so then we'll have that additional harvest opportunity. So the optimal is sort of what we shoot for as far from a population standpoint. And in order to have a target harvest where we want it with the amount of fishing pressure we have, we need a three bag. If we get back to surplus, then there'll be some opportunity to expand the bag limit back to four likely. The... There's a lot of walleyes that come out of that lake. I mean, <laughs> there's just a ton of pressure on it. Yeah, it's certainly popular, particularly early ice, you know, and then early in the open water season as well. Um, and and it's it's pretty sleepy, actually, in the middle of summer and, and even in the middle of winter sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you, once you get past New Year's, and um, it's, a li- it's a little bit more muted, which is good if the fish could use a break. But, but we have annual creel up there so we're we keep track of those numbers very closely and um our tar our we've been very successful these last few years hitting right right where we want to be in our target harvest by making these slight 
regulation adjustments. And so, you know, everything up there is looking good and healthy with a bunch of young fish poised to, to enter the population or the, the catchable part of the population for, for anglers. And, um, and it had been a few years. We, we needed that. So that's, that's why we had pulled down the spawning stock and um, got the response we wanted. And soon we'll have some increased harvest opportunity again when, uh, when those fish reach sexual maturity and sort of start to cycle over. Does this lake get more pressure during hard water or soft water season? Certainly more in the winter time. Okay. Um, and it, regardless of how we measure it, but when we count angler hours, um, a lot of the listeners are probably familiar with that term, which is just one person fishing for one hour. And because of the sleeper house effect in the winter time, we push two million hours of fishing in the winter time. Whereas in the summertime, it's about two hundred thousand. Okay. Wow. Um, but if we look at the number of anglers that make the trip, it's it's much more even. It's still skewed a little bit towards winter. Um, it's just that when you go up in the summertime and you make a four or five or six hour trip, when you go in the winter time, they go and make a forty hour trip. So the hours add up a little differently. But um, it's it's certainly a popular place if you're a walleye fisherman, regardless of season. It most certainly is, and of course it's great, and of course it's all natural reproduction now, right? Now that you, the last long time it's been natural reproduction. Yeah, we haven't stocked any fish in any meaningful number since 2003, and we had a couple of evaluation stockings in 04 and 05 as we were determining the extent of natural reproduction, but there's been no fish stocked since 2005. Okay. Um, now that's a lake that I know... Um, you're trying to, or maybe already have established a trophy northern fishery. What's the status there? Yeah, we just completed a, a northern pike assessment this spring. I don't have the numbers crunched yet, uh, or even in the computer yet, because springtime for fisheries guys is pretty busy here. But um, we did see a number of really nice fish. Um, our spring trap net assessments for northerns occur in the tributaries. Um, this year, actually, with uh, with very little runoff, we were sort of restricted to just Shotley Brook. Uh, which enters the lake at Rogers Resort and the Tamarack River because the smaller ditches just didn't have enough flow to attract fish. Um, but we we actually Floyd tagged, uh, which is a little yellow tag at the base of the dorsal fin, 900 northern pike this spring. Um, so our anglers will be encountering those. Um, they, they say uh, MNDNR and have a six-digit number on them, and they can either report those tags online or call our office, um, and we can give them some information about when the fish was tagged um, size, wear, that sort of thing. And okay. we do these assessments usually two years on, two years off. This is the first of a two-year cycle. Um, we're hoping to get about 2,000 fish tagged and uh, get a little better idea of um, how those fish are moving around, both within the state waters as well as back and forth um, to the reservation waters. The, uh, the band will be tagging some fish as well and just really get a better feel for it. But we saw a number of fish uh, up to about 44 and a half inches. Oh, really? Was, was the top end. So, and and there's, I'm always amazed at the number of fish up there over 36 inches, particularly. There's a lot of fish over 40, and those are the ones we all like to talk about. Um, but I know the most recent assessment before this spring, 30% of the female fish were over 36 inches, which is pretty incredible. <laughs> really is incredible. And there is a core of people who love to go after those big northerns. Yeah, there is. There's a couple of guides that specialize in it, and it, as well as, you know, just average Joe. Um, and it's a lot of trolling, um, you know, larger crankbaits. Um, six feet of water along the shoreline is, is fairly popular. And um, 
where that lake gets stirred up from the wind. So if you can find an extended period of calm where the water clears up a little bit, that seems to help the bite. And, um, yeah, it's, it, like you say, it's a little bit of a niche, uh, activity, but the, the folks that do it, they're good at it and, and they enjoy it. Of course, when, when the, uh, walleye population was in jeopardy, crappies kind of took over and became one of the legendary, uh, crappie seasons or few seasons in the history of Minnesota, I think. Um, but what does that mean now that we've got so many walleyes in there? Is there still crappie fishing to be done in that lake? There is a little bit. Um, they're a little harder to target. We did see some the first real meaningful recruitment. Um, and I'm trying to remember, I believe it was 2018 as well. Um, those fish are going to be, they're about nine inches right now. And so I think anglers will see a few more of them. It's not the return to the crappie boom of the early 2000s by any means. Mm-hmm. But I do think that folks will be encountering a few more over the next year or two than they have for the last six or eight years. Uh, and there's still, there's always some amount of crappie reproduction each year. And so there's always those that scattering of, you know, 14 to 15 inch crappies up there. And what's impressive about them is they're so broad across the back. They, that lake is so full of shiners and those crappies uh, really do well on that. And they're, they're some of the heaviest crappies you'll find. Tony Kennedy is the man. He is the large lake specialist out of the Bemidji Area Fisheries Office. We are talking Red Lake. Later on in the show, Tony's going to cover a lot more with Red Lake. But up next... Time to get academic with Dr. Andrew Hafes. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Ask the aquatic biologist. It is once again time to check in with the aquatic biologist, Dr. Andy Hafes of Bemidji State University. Andy, last week we talked about fish breathing and why they suffocate when they're out of the water. And we touched on this, but uh, let's go a little bit more in depth. Catch and release, huge, huge thing that every I think pretty much everybody who fishes in this area now believes in, if not 100% of the time, a good chunk of the time. So if we're out catching fish, we want to get them back in the water. How do we revive them? What's the proper way to get them revived and back into the water safely? Well, a couple of things that I like to think about here, and we mentioned a little bit last week, is one, try to get them back into the water as soon as you can. That's a really big factor, especially when it's warm out, like we mentioned in uh, last week's show. Um, the other thing is we talked about the gills and how they collapse when they're out of the water. So it's kind of interesting when you're, I think that most people who fish have been trained to get them back into the water. If that fish is struggling, you kind of move them back and forth and you're holding onto their tail. Uh, really, the fish receives the most benefit from that when they're moving forward with their mouth open. In the backwards direction, that's not necessarily as advantageous to that fish. And the reason that is, is there's two different things. The gills are collapsing on themselves again when they're moving in the backwards direction a little bit, and they're not designed to have water move that way through them. And the other really big thing is that within the gills, the blood moves through one direction, and the water is supposed to be moving through in the opposite direction. And when you're moving that fish backwards, it moves the the water and the blood are both flowing in the same direction, and that's not as efficient for that fish. So... As much as you can, keep them moving forward. But I know when you're in a canoe or in a boat, that's very difficult to do. You know, and So I basically revive fish the same way that everybody does, where you're just moving them back and forth real gently until they swim away. That's a, a, a good practice. But just know that they're getting the best benefit from that when they're moving forward with their mouth open. Are there uh, certain size fish that seem to be able to bounce back quicker? Are smaller fish more likely to recover quicker than bigger fish? Or how does that work? You know what? 
when you first asked the question, what I was really thinking about mentioning too is like how they're caught. And so sometimes you hear about anglers that are trying to, you might hear somebody bragging about catching a giant muskie on two pound test, right? And that's not really that good for that fish, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, the longer that that fish is fighting, I think, and where it's hooked, you know, if it's got hooked real deep or if it got hooked in the gills, those gills are so fragile, you know, uh, those are things that are probably going to influence it more, in my opinion, than uh, the size of the fish. And it, also the type of the fish might matter a little bit more too. I imagine that there are some fish that are more sensitive to this process than others. But um, fighting fish for a long time in terms of fish health is not a really good practice, right? And um, so optimize your gear for the health of the fish if you're interested in that. Yeah, I think that um, in a lot of cases, if you've got two-pound tests and you catch a muskie, that's by accident. Right. You were planning on that. <laughs> yeah, that's right, for sure. <laughs> so um, you mentioned, especially when it's warm out earlier, so are they are they a little more resilient in the wintertime when we're ice fishing? Well, it seems um, in some aspects, like for taking pictures and being out of the water, they are. I think okay. um, there's other things that come at play with the ice fishing, like uh, fishing at deeper depths, and you might during the summer, right? And uh, that's really hard on some fish that have gas bladders. And so I'm not necessarily going to say yes to that mm-hmm. with the blanket. Yes, like I like to protect myself on this show, right? <laughs> so uh, in some aspects, yes, you're correct. Like especially the time out of the water is not necessarily as big of a deal, in my opinion, as it would be during the the heat of summer. Okay. The one thing, though, if if you're an angler who cares enough about catch and release to catch and release, it it's not doing a lot of good to get the get them off the uh, uh, hook and then just th- throw them in the water. That's that's not helpful. You need to kind of ease them back in the water. Do you not? Well, you can. I mean, if they're doing good, you know, like I've seen bass fishermen that are just really really good at getting a fish off the hook, you know, and. Uh, you can generally just drop that right back in if it's ready okay. to go. It, it's more along the lines of when the fish is struggling, and you, I think anglers are pretty good at knowing that. And I mean, if you had a difficult time getting the hook out of it or something like that, that's when you really need to ease them back in. And I mean, we don't want to be just throwing them ten feet and having them do belly flops <laughs> no. or anything, but uh, a, a quick release is good. Yeah. Okay. And uh, again, I think one of the great things about uh, living up here is we really do have pretty smart anglers. They are very passionate about it. They care deeply about it. They know, by and large, what they're doing. And uh, catch and release is just second nature. Now, when I started doing this show a long time ago, they really, really talked a lot about that because they were trying to get people to do it. Now, um, people do it, uh, and that's good because, you know, um, it's so much easier to catch a fish now. We've got such sophisticated gear. I've, my wife says it's just not fair. With the, with the underwater camera. She doesn't think that's fair or even a sport anymore. So um, it's good that, that people do catch and release because, yeah, you could you could wipe out a population real quick with the gear and the equipment we have in this day and age. Yeah, that's for sure. The other thing that's interesting about the catch and release movement, in my opinion, too, is that if especially if it's happening uh, kind of outside of the regulations, it, mm-hmm. one of the biggest tools that fisheries managers have is the harvest of the anglers. And so if that aspect is completely gone, uh, the ability to manipulate fish populations changes substantially for the managers. And so that's just something that I like to think about a little bit with this uh, catch and release movement as well. 
Well, certainly. I mean, uh, obviously, um, they they do want you to harvest some fish, which is good, and most people do. But I I like the fact that you know you get those prime spawner sizes, and people know what those sizes are, and they put those back, and they keep the eater sizes. And um, by and large, I mean our lakes are in pretty good shape right now. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing that you mentioned there with the uh, you know the education of the anglers and things like that, you're spot on there. The People are spending the time out in the water and, and really experiencing it. They know what's going on there quite a bit. So very educated anglers in Minnesota. Well, many of them probably graduated from Bemidji State, <laughs> I'm guessing. Let's hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Andrew Haves <laughs> is the aquatic biologist at Bemidji State University. Andy, thanks for answering the question this week. Yeah, thanks for your time. Up next, we check back in with Tony Kennedy, Bemidji Area Fisheries Large Lake Specialist, as we continue to put the spotlight on Red Lake. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Tony, there's some big challenges with Red Lake. You know, whether it be crappies or walleyes or northerns in that lake, there's just so much water that uh, it can be hard to find them. There's tons of them in there, but they got a lot of places to go. And if you're not in the right spot that day, you just got to be prepared to move. Yeah, it's interesting. As I mentioned, you know, we have annual creel, and so, you know, we're hearing from anglers every day virtually, and I'm always amazed when I fill in for the clerks, you know, it might be a kind of a tough day, and everybody's kind of struggling, catching two or three or four fish, and then somebody will come in, and they caught 30, and they, they think it was, you know, one of the best trips of the year, and it's just about where you land, and the reverse is true, too. Everybody will be, you know, limits across the board, and then some, you know, poor guy comes in who didn't catch anything all day, you know? And, um, so I always just encourage people just move around, you know, um, if you're struggling to catch fish where you are, or if you're struggling to find the right size fish, um, within the regulation, just pull up and and try a new spot. Tony, we're not going to run through the whole history of the rebuilding because we've done that many times. And I know some of the people in, in the Brainerd area that listen probably haven't heard the whole story, but uh, I know you continue to work with a lot of the same stockholders. So what are the things and who are the people you are dealing with every year as we put forth plans for Red Lake? It's, it involves a lot of moving parts. Yeah, it does. Um, there's, there's two primary groups that we work with. One is the Red Lake Fisheries Technical Committee, which is made up of Minnesota DNR, Red Lake DNR, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, uh, uh, Fish and Wildlife Service, and a representative from the University of Minnesota. We've been working with those five entities um, since the late 90s on the, the recovery. And so we meet twice a year as a technical committee, and we review the most recent survey results. Um, that group is the one that drafted the, the harvest plan uh, for Red Lake walleyes, and that allocates our harvest um, on a pounds per acre basis. Um, each spawning stock condition we have gives each jurisdiction so many pounds per acre of of harvest available, and, and that's dependent on how many mature females we have. So that's the the group that we meet with and and agree to uh, where we are for spawning stock condition, and then the state sets its own independent regulations and the band their own um, to meet whatever target harvest we have for that year. And then uh, following that meeting, we'll have we'll meet with our Red Lake Citizen Advisory Committee, which is made up of, you know, local and statewide stakeholders, resort owners, business owners, guides, um, average Joe fishermen, and um, talk through them. This is how much harvest we have available. This is where we think we'll end up with these various regulations. 
um, you know, how, how do you think we should proceed as far as, you know, we generally do that by season for the summer and for the winter. Okay. Um, it's, uh, it, again, it's, it's a balancing act. It is on any lake, really. You've got everybody's, everybody's got a different viewpoint they're coming in with when they're using waters or living on waters or running a business on waters or, you know, that type of thing. Um, so I, I'm sure you, you hear a lot of different opinions. You hear from a lot of different people, and uh, there's a lot of listening going on. Yeah, there definitely is. We always want to make sure we're we're listening to what our stakeholders uh, have on their minds. Uh, one nice thing about these groups and and with these annual or biannual meetings is um, we can, you know, nobody's ever surprised, right? We we sort of see the way things are trending. We show them lots of information, um, and you know, everybody has their own opinion. But we've got got a good group that that understands the way the lake's working. Um, and of course, we're always learning in that regard as well, you know. But um, it, it's really a good group, and and we've I think all of our anglers are enjoying the benefits of that from a, a really healthy fishery. I don't think a lot of people understand just how huge the Red Lake system is. Between Upper and Lower Red Lake, how many acres are we talking? Yeah, well, it's it's four hundred forty five square miles, which Oof. is a, which is hard to put wrap your mind around. <laughs> uh, too, but the upper lake is about 120,000 acres, and the lower lake is about 165. So we're talking 285,000 surface acres. That's that's massive. It's yeah, it's almost the size in whole of the the Minnesota waters of Lake of the Woods. Wow, wow, and and so the uh, portion that is in in the state of Minnesota for Upper Red is is that about a third of the lake? It's a it's about a third of of the upper lake, um, or excuse me, it's about a third of the lake. Yeah, correct. Forty-eight thousand acres, and, and, so, and so that little portion for the rest of the state of Minnesota is, is one of the top five lakes. Oh yeah, it's, it's <laughs> just that portion it really produces. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's a tremendous walleye fishery. You know, I mean, it has so much. In you know, we talked about in cast not being a lot of in lake spawning. Red Lake is the opposite. There's there's lots of in lake spawning habitat. Um, there are is some riverine habitat as well, but most of the spawning up there, we believe, is occurring in lake, and it's just mile after mile of suitable shoreline, and and it just it, if the fish are there, um, they tend to to reproduce very well. You know where we ran into troubles in the past was from over harvest where we didn't have enough mature females, so that's why we're really focused on that spawning stock of of mature females, telling us how much safe harvest we have available. Okay. One of the things that, that we saw come down a couple of years ago was, I think they found some zebra mussels in there. We found some villagers and some plankton samples um, a couple of years. We haven't found any adults yet. Um, there must be, presumably, adults to produce these villagers. Um, but they have not become established yet. And it's it's going to be an interesting um, case study here as because that lake is so windswept um, and very turbid, lots of suspended particles from, from the wind keeping it stirred up. That The general consensus seems to be that they may not do very well, but that remains to be seen uh, as we're still pretty early, you know, post-infestation. Yeah, that's a, that, like, all of that uh, will make it a little more difficult for them to clear up that water. Right, because the what makes Red Lake the color it is is suspended um, sand and other inorganic particles, whereas what makes some other lakes 
um, difficult to see through the algae in them, and that's what the, the zebra mussels are filtering out, whereas they're not filtering out the suspended particles. All right. Anything else going on that lake as far as invasives go or anything that, w- that we need to be aware of? Nope. There's, there's been some starry stonewort again, um, like many of our lakes, in some fairly isolated places, but it hasn't really become strongly established in the lake anywhere. Um, but we should always be making sure we're cleaning our boats off good and pulling drain plugs and, and doing our part there. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So Red Lake uh, in good shape. If you were its teacher, what would you give it for a grade? Well, I'm probably a little bit biased, but it sure feels like an A to me. Okay. Well, I, I don't think uh, it's hard to mount a defense against that. I mean, you've got the fish, uh, you've got the pressure, and it just keeps uh, cranking out fish and giving people entertainment. Yeah, yeah. By and large, I think the anglers are, are real happy, and, and we just hope it continues on. Tony Kennedy is the Large Lake Specialist out of the Bemidji Area Fisheries Office. Uh, previewing Red Lake and the upcoming season with us. One more time, Tony, what is the limit and uh, on Red Lake this year for walleye? Yep, It's a three-fish bag limit with not more than one fish allowed over 17. Tony, thanks for your time today. We appreciate it. Yep, you bet, Kev. Before we wrap it up, some great stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to put the spotlight on Lake of the Woods tomorrow. We've got Malax this week and Gull Lake as well. Coming up after that, we've still got to put the spotlight on Lake Winnie. And Tony Kennedy will be back to tell us all about the Cass Lake chain we got several other very cool interviews coming up with DNR personnel as well. Also, you're going to be hearing parts of this interview for the next several weeks, very likely. Uh, we're going to go in-depth with the commissioner of the DNR. So much to cover with her. That's going to be a great interview as well. We'll be talking to a ton of the best anglers in the area to get you ready for the opener as this week wears on. And to make sure you don't miss any of it, the best thing to do is subscribe to the podcast. You can do that at Podcast One or go to the Pod MN app where you can also find several hundred other Minnesota-based podcasts. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. That's it for today. I'm Kev Jackson. Thanks for joining us.